Here we go. Welcome to the Transform with Travel podcast, where we share stories of personal transformation and life lessons through our experiences of traveling and exploring the world. Travel is the ultimate accelerator for personal growth, and it can be the root catalyst for the pivots and plot twists we make in our lives. I'm your host, Kelly Tolliday, and it's my mission to inspire you to live life to its fullest, travel with an open mind and heart, and let the world show you a new perspective. I'm so grateful you're here with us today, so let's dive right in. Happy exploring. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. Welcome to the pod. My name is Kelly Tolliday. I am your host, and today's episode is a deep dive into a solo episode around one of the most pivotal moments in my life whilst traveling and just in my life in general. And the story is based back in 2018. And it is a story that I've told a lot of times to a lot of people as soon as they hear even like a snippet of what's happened to me on this on this trip. It becomes a full-fledged conversation about what it was like to kind of go through that experience. And it was definitely something that sh- has shaped me as a person. It's something that has been a traumatic experience in my life, something that I've worked through. And because of this, I've been able to grow as a person. I've been able to build my reservoir of tools in my toolkit for resilience and for reducing anxiety and just really becoming a better overall teacher within the yoga and breathwork and meditation space. So looking back at it all now, I can definitely see how, you know, I've grown from it, but it's definitely a story in which I want to be able to share not just the highs of travel, but also the lows and what is the reality of going to certain countries in certain geographical locations, certain countries that don't necessarily have infrastructure in place to handle, um, let's just say, a natural disaster. That's where we're going with this. And also countries that don't have the resources to be able to support you really through something like that. So this story starts back in 2018. And Sam and I had decided earlier that year that we were going to officially leave Sydney. We had been in Sydney for five years, and we decided that we were going to leave Sydney and go back to traveling through Asia. In 2015, we had left Sydney as well, and and we traveled Asia for about a year. And then in 2018, we decided, okay, you know what? We're ready for a new change. Let's go back to Indonesia. And we loved Indonesia so, so, so much, so much to the point that we always knew that we wanted to go back, specifically this little island chain called the Gili Islands. It's about 20 minutes boat ride off of the larger island of Lombok. And Lombok is about a 40-minute plane ride, two, two and a half, three-hour ferry ride from Bali. So to put things in perspective. And the, this little island chain, are it's three islands, Gili T, Gili Air, and Gili Menno. <laughs> And Gili T, Gili Terwangan, is the largest island, not very large it, relatively, but it is still the largest one out of the three. Gili Air is like the middle one and middle-sized, and Gili Menno is the smallest, smallest, most little remote island. And so we always knew that we wanted to go back to Gili Air. We had been to Gili Air for a couple weeks in 2015 when we had first gone to Indonesia and we just fell in love with the diving culture. Like every day you're just diving the most beautiful sites. It's so relaxed. You can walk from one end to the one end of the island to the other within 20 minutes. 
And there was a beautiful yoga shala there where I really got to deep dive more into my practice. And it was just probably one of the most blissful few moments and few weeks that we had during our entire travels of being in Asia the first time around. So we always knew that we wanted to go back to Gilead. And we knew that when we wanted to make it our home base, we wanted to also kind of get something out of it when we were there. So Sam wanted to start and complete his dive master with an amazing dive company called Oceans 5. So if you are on the Gillies in any way, I highly, highly recommend going out to Oceans 5 and diving with them. And he had registered for this course. He finished his rescue dive certification in Sydney. He had done all the prep work so that when we landed in the Gillies, he was able to start his program right away. And we were planning on it taking about two months, two or three months for him to finish the dive master. In the meantime, I had hooked up with a gorgeous yoga shala yoga resort on the island. And I was going to teach weekly classes there while Sam did his dive master. And we were so excited to be able to start this journey and get to Gilead and really begin this part of our life. We were planning on being there from about August until about October of 2018. We had said goodbye to Sam's family in Sydney. We boarded the plane. We landed in Bali. And we were supposed to spend a couple days off the island of Nusa Penida, which is just a ferry ride away from Bali. And when we landed in Bali late at night, we got a message from the ferry company saying, you know, the seas are just way too rough. We can't make the ferry. It's probably going to be a week before the seas calm down enough for us to be able to take it. And we were really bums, but we were like, you know what? All right, let's, you know, are already off to a good start. Let's plot twist this and find somewhere else to stay. And so we found a little homestay in Changu in Bali, which is what I like to call Little Australia because it's just these like gorgeous little cafes and surf shops and lots of Australians all just living there and surfing and 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 working. A lot of remote work is happening there too. And so we just spent a week or two in Chenggu instead of going to Nusa Penida. While we were staying in Chenggu, I guess we had slept through this, but a friend of mine who was living there also texted me saying, hey, did you feel that earthquake? And we were like, no, we didn't feel anything. I must have slept through that. And I'm a really light sleeper, so I was really surprised by that. But you didn't really think much of it because there's a lot of earthquakes that happen in Indonesia. It, it lives within the Ring of Fire, which is like the most active volcanic and like tremor earthquake area of the world. So even back in 2015, when we were staying on the Gillies way back then, we were actually underwater, about 30 meters underwater diving when an earthquake happened. And originally we just thought it was a really loud boat, like a boat engine. That's kind of what it felt like. But then when we surfaced from the water, the dive company was like, hey, did, did you realize that was an earthquake? Like we had no idea. And we just kind of laughed it off because... That was just kind of things that happened there. Just there were small tremors here and there. So that first earthquake tre tremor, whatever you want to call it, happened in Bali, in Chenggu, when we were staying there. And we didn't really think much of it. So we finally were able to get on a flight from Bali over to Lombok. And then from Lombok, we landed on Gili T. We were going to spend our first four days in the Gillies on Gili Trawangan to see a friend of Sam's a childhood friend, and we were going to spend my birthday there. This episode is sponsored by Rising Nature Retreats. Are you feeling called to explore the world, tick off your bucket list, and make lifelong friends along the way? 
Are you overwhelmed from planning the logistics of your trips or sick of feeling like you need a vacation from your vacation when you return home? Rising Nature Retreats offers world-class travel experiences infused with daily yoga and wellness, personal development workshops, unique adventure and cultural excursions, and holistic local cuisines. Experience the world as you elevate your wellness. Return home feeling rejuvenated and empowered to bring what you learn about other cultures and about yourself back home with you. This is the adventure you've been waiting for. Join us in 2024 to explore Thailand, Portugal, or Greece. Visit risingnatureretreats.com or at risingnatureretreats on Instagram and Facebook for all the brochures and information on upcoming international retreats and local of classes and events in South Florida. And so we spent four awesome days on Gilly T, just riding our bikes around the islands. There's no cars on any of the Gillies. There's uh, horse and carriage, and there's bi- bicycles and walking. That's it. That's how small this island is. And we spent four days there. On our second to last night, we woke up in the middle of the night to another earthquake. It was about a 5.0, which is a fairly large earthquake, enough to definitely like shake a few walls. And I looked immediately online to make sure there was no tsunami warnings or anything happening like that. And we were able to fall back asleep. Because to just put this in perspective, there's really no second story buildings on the Gillies. The highest elevation is going to be a palm tree. And like I said, you could walk from one end of the island to the other fairly quickly. So if a tsunami is coming, (laughs) there is no plan B. There's nowhere to go. So I checked the tsunami warning. There's nothing happening. I was like, all right, fine. This This is all good. So the next day, we meet up with some of Sam's friends. They take us to their little village. They hand us a coconut to drink, and we're walking around having a great time. And we say goodbye to them later after that night. We had a really, really nice night. And I wake up in the morning, and I immediately need to throw up. I was like, oh, my God, I feel so sick. And I'm just vomiting and just sweating. And I was like, oh, no, I I can already tell where this is going. I've got bali belly. I've got some sort of stomach bug. And it lasted the whole next day. We were waking up early checking out of our hotel, taking another ferry from Gilly T over to Gilly Air, which again is only about like a 15-minute ferry ride, but I was not well. And we land on Gilly Air and that original sense of awe and wonder from the first time around in 2015, I just couldn't even really allow myself to go there because I was so sick. I was like, Sam, let's go check in. I need to lay down. I need to be in some air conditioning. And then you can go over to the dive shop and go check yourself in there. And truly... It was the sickest I've ever been. I oscillated between a super high fever to having crazy chills. I had well over 101, 102 fever. I was vomiting. (laughs) It was really, really awful. And if you don't know how accommodation typically is in Bali, but we were in a traditional lumbung, which is like a bamboo structure. And I was on the second floor of this little loft, I guess you could call it. And the bathroom was downstairs and outside. So everyone could hear what was going on in that bathroom (laughs) for multiple days. And by like the second or third day, I was like, something is very wrong. I need, I think I need antibiotics. I definitely need vitamins. I definitely need an IV drip. So there is really no hospital on this island. There's a small clinic, but they don't have the resources available for something like this. So I was planning on getting onto the ferry from Gilear, taking a boat 
over to the mainland in Lombok, driving about an hour to their local hospital and getting onto the hospital. Like that was my plan that day. And I just honestly couldn't get myself out of bed. I was just like, you know what? Just one more day. See if I'm better. I just can't like fathom taking this trip all the way to the mainland. And Sam was diving all day with his with his with his um training, with his program. So eventually Sam comes home around 7 p.m., 8 p.m. It's starting to get dark and I'm not feeling well. And he was going to go meet some friends for some beers and some dinner, some friends that he met through the dive shop. And he says, you know, I feel bad. Like, I'll stay here with you. I'll just get some studying done downstairs while you're up there basically dying. (laughs) And thank God he stayed because within 15 minutes of him closing the doors and getting settled into study, this rumble from deep, deep down in the earth happened. And it was so severe and so aggressive that I immediately jumped out of bed and I had a glass of water, like an actual glass in my hand. And I start running down the stairs because you're just, your brain can't catch up to what is happening. Like your brain can't comprehend that the floor beneath you is shaking. So I start trying to run downstairs to get to Sam and the shake is so severe that the glass flies out of my hand, hits the wall and ricochets all over the stairs. I still, my brain not kind of comprehending what's happening. I'm running barefoot down these stairs. Luckily, I don't break skin and cut myself. And Sam's trying to open up our doors because he locked it. But again, the shaking is so bad that he cannot open this door. He can't get the door open to be able to get let her get ourselves out. And eventually, he just kind of breaks through it. And we run outside, no shoes, no passports, no wallets, no phones, nothing, because your brain's just like, get out of this scenario. We walk out and everyone's screaming. Everyone's running. There's sewage lines broken. There's water everywhere. And the owner of this little village that we were staying at is screaming at us to run, run, run. So we get to this open field about five-minute run, five-minute walk from our place, and there's a bunch of locals all huddled together. We have no idea whether there's a tsunami coming. We have no idea what the severity of the situation is because even if we had cell phones on us, there was no service anymore. And like I said, it was like 8 o'clock at night, so it's also dark with no lights. So just to take it back a step, like I'm in full I'm sick attire. I'm in just like a tank top and shorts, no bra, no underwear, no shoes. So I'm re- definitely ready ready to tackle this situation attire-wise. And the first thing that we really notice is the locals are running with life jackets on, screaming, water's coming, water's coming. So that's concerning. <laughs> we have no idea whether there's actually a tsunami coming. There's no way to check the tsunami warnings. And all we can do is take the locals' minds, you know, like take the locals' word for it. So we decide to sit down in this group of locals. There's not a lot of other foreigners and we're they're handing out waters. They're asking if I'm okay because I'm also vomiting at the same time, which I think they think is shock, which it could be, but it's also because I have a stomach bug. And eventually Sam's like, look, I got to go back to our accommodation because we need a passport. We need our phones and we need our wallets. He's like, I don't care if we have any other clothes. We need those three things to be able to get off this island and get out of this country if we have to. So 
We run back after the tremors had kind of stopped. We run back. Sam goes upstairs, tries to get as much as he can. Of course, it's like triple locked. Our bag's like triple locked to the bed, so it takes even longer for him to get it. I'm just so worried that another tremor, another aftershock is going to happen while he's up there and the building will collapse. So I'm screaming at him to hurry, hurry, hurry. And he finally gets what he needs, a couple pieces of clothing, a pair of shoes, our passport, and our wallet. He runs back downstairs. We run past the group of locals. And we, Sam's like, there has to be a better spot on the island. We have to get farther inland and we have to find a group of foreigners where we can speak to them a little bit better. So we start running down the alleyways. Anyone who hasn't been to the Gillies, basically it's just like a labyrinth of concrete walls that are like constructed on the side of the road, <clears throat> sides of like the roads that basically like block off the perimeter of each accommodation or business. So it like creates these little alleyways and all of these alleyways had just concrete rumbled all over the ground. They were just broken. And a lot of people throughout the Gillies got really injured because they were walking down the alleyway at the time of the earthquake and the concrete wall fell on top of them and they'd break their leg or they'd really hurt themselves in some way. And we are running, literally sprinting down these alleyways and we just slam straight into this couple the woman was Indonesian and the man was some Westerner. We weren't quite sure yet. And he started speaking and we could tell that he was Kiwi. He was from New Zealand. And my husband immediately goes, do you have a cell phone? Is it working? And he's like, yeah, actually, I don't know how, but but my cell service from Vodafone. So those of you from Australia who and New Zealand who have Vodafone know that it that service never works even in Australia. So the fact that this man's Vodafone cell service was working in the middle of an earthquake with no cell towers down <laughs> was a miracle. So Sam immediately takes his phone, dials his dad and calls his dad. His dad picks up and Sam's like, dad, we were in an earthquake. We have to go right now. I just want to let you know that we're okay. And Sam's dad's like, oh, I'm watching the news right now. And I saw that there was an earthquake. I was wondering if you would be involved in that in some way. And Sam's like, yes, we're involved. It's really bad. I have to go. I just want you to know that I'm okay. Please phone Kelly's mom and just let her know what's going on. So Sam drops the phone. We ask the man from New Zealand, if we could follow him where he was going, he said, yes, there's a group of foreigners. They're in the middle of the island in this open air patch in the ground, basically, which is the best place to be because you didn't want to be near a building or potentially a tree that could fall over with another aftershock. So we follow him. We find this group of Westerners. We luckily link up with another guy from the dive shop that Sam already knew. So we kind of came like a little threesome there where we like built ourselves a little pack. We put like a sweatshirt down on the bare dirt and lay down and just spend the rest of the night trying to get a little bit of sleep whilst they were having aftershocks after aftershocks after aftershocks. I'm vomiting still. I'm not feeling well. I'm shaking. But I think the adrenaline is kind of keeping me alive at this stage and kind of numbing down the effects of what's happening to my body based on the adrenaline just coursing through. And I do remember just like laying on the ground and looking at the open sky and seeing shooting stars and seeing the most beautiful sky I've ever seen in my life and just being huddled with this group of about 50 to 60 strangers who are all just trying to survive together and thinking like, wow, the earth, like mother nature is so powerful and so scary and also just so beautiful. Like I couldn't believe 
my, my brain just couldn't comprehend that we were in this situation. And that I was just looking at these shooting stars, just waiting and waiting and waiting for the sunrise to come. Because once the sun rose and we could assess the damage, we could just really start to take in the reality of our situation. Luckily, someone near us was able to get cell service and they were constantly checking the tsunami warnings. And when the, when the announcement came through that there were no tsunami warnings based on the, that initial shock, we were all like jumping up and down and yelling with each other and clapping and just so excited. And it was that sense of community that like, okay, we're all here. Like we have each other's back. So that was on August 5th. That was a 6.9 earthquake. That was a really, really severe earthquake. Over 300 people on and off the Gili. So on the Gili Islands and on Lombok mainland that they died. It was like a horrific, horrific natural disaster. Over a thousand people were injured and more than 200,000 people were homeless. Specifically on the island of Lombok, it was just devastating. There were landslides blocking off main highways to get to hospitals, to get to the airport. And the island itself was cut off from knowing exactly what the extent of the damage was, was on the mainland. So when we were woke up the next morning, we made our way back to the dive shop because it was kind of like where all of the community was kind of gathering around the different dive shops around the island. Um, we were able to start assessing the damage and starting to assess the risk of go trying to go on from the Gillies over to Lombok to get to the airport to try to leave or assessing the risk to just stay on the island. So just so you know where like our heads were at. So on the Gillies, yes, there is a severe risk of a tsunami if another shock comes, if another earthquake comes, there is nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. But we knew we had at least a couple days worth of water for our immediate community within the dive community and also in the yoga, the yoga shala that I was planning on working at. The beautiful owner, Emily Christian, who will be on the pod, I'm sure, in a, in a couple months. We're planning on interviewing with each other. But she also had a place to stay with a bit of electricity generator, enough clean water for us to drink for a few days, and food. So we knew we had food and water for a few days, but the risk was staying on an island where if there was another earthquake, if a tsunami would come. The other option was to try to get to Lombok from a ferry. We don't know what the state of the roads are at. We could literally see the landslide marks down the mountain. So we didn't know if there were roads blocked to the hospital. We didn't know if there was roadblocks to the airport. We didn't know if we would have access to food or water because everyone's in survival mode and trying to hoard for themselves. There were actually no flights available to leave from Lombok anywhere off the island because there are thousands of tourists on the Gillies and on Lombok trying to leave at the same time. So truly, there was just so much more of a question mark of if we went to Lombok, what the safety standard was going to be. We decided to stay on the island with our friend Clay, who became our friend through this process. Sam was close with him through diving every day and then obviously spending overnight in an open-air ditch <laughs> brings you close together. And we had decided, okay, we're going to be a threesome through this. Like, we're not going to leave you behind, Clay. Like, you're, you're part of our team in this. And so 
Sam and Clay helped for six, seven, eight hours straight loading locals and tourists from the beach, the shores of the beach, into a ferry, getting all the supplies into the ferries and helping them load off so that the ferry could go to Lombok. All day, every hour, every minute, shuttling more and more people, locals and tourists alike, to get onto the ferries to go to Lombok while we knew the risk that we were taking this day. And I think that was just Sam's way of like staying busy through through all of this like trauma was just like having a purpose. And truly the dive company was such a rock for us during this day because one, I was also sick. There's no running water anymore. So I'm just getting sick in a ditch basically, which is not the best way <laughs> to feel like sanitary or that you're getting better in any way. And you're just, I was outside in this, this little hut all day just trying not to die, basically, and just trying to drink as much water as I could to stay healthy, but also as little as water because I didn't know how much water we would have to sustain us. So we're all trying to make decisions for ourselves. The dive team kind of sticks together and says, hey, we're going to stay, you know, at least one more night together. We go to a full island, like powwow, like all of the business owners, expats, local like chiefs, we all met in the middle of the island and just tried to make a game plan on what we were going to do as a community, which was a really beautiful way to see all of these people from all over the world com converge and say, hey, I've got, you know, these five gallons of water over here and I've got food over here. Everyone come to my house for dinner. They were also trying to combat looting. There was a lot of looting that was happening across all three of the gillies where foreigners and locals alike were ravaging businesses and stealing supplies. One of the businesses that was getting looted was the little clinic that was on the island, the medical clinic, and, the, and some of their medical supplies and, you know, needles and all of that were getting taken. And this doctor who was on the island was operating on people in the open air all night. There were people with, you know, legs broken open and, you know, arms broken and open sutures and wounds. And he was literally had a stretcher just in the middle of the dirt trying to keep people from bleeding out. And this was happening just a couple yards away from us. So the community was really trying to pull together. They had invested their time, their life, their money into being on this island and to making this island what it is. So they were really committed to just like making sure everyone could stay as safe as possible. We moved from the dive shop over to the yoga studio, the yoga resort that I was supposed to work at. It's called Flowers and Fire, the most beautiful, amazingly designed, like the energy there, the spirituality is just so beautiful. And so we took all of the five-star... <laughs> world-class mattresses that they had out of their rooms, out of their suites, and put them into a open field, basically, right next to the resort. And that's where about 20 to 30 of us slept. We all slept as on single beds, like two or three people in a bed, on single beds, single mattresses in this field. And it was just the safest place for us to be. If there was another aftershock, we were able to know that like no palm trees were going to fall on us. No structures were going to fall on us. There were like wild animals running around. So they do have a lot of horses on the island because the horses help pull a lot of the carriages and the carts around the island since there's no cars. And the owners of those horses left to go back to their homes on the mainland. 
So these horses are just like screaming and neighing and, and all night just making noise. And you always know an animal knows when an earthquake or a natural disaster is coming. So lo and behold, after about 20 minutes of these horses just going nuts in their stables, another 5.0 earthquake hit. It rumbled for about 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then went away. We're all able to take a deep breath. We checked our tsunami warnings. There was nothing there. And we were able to try to just close our eyes just a little bit, try to get some sleep before the sun came back up. And it honestly is just a sight that I'm never going to forget for the rest of my life when the sun came up and it's just this beautiful pink, orange, swirls of blue. And just looking around at all these people, it's been two days of no showering, no hot water, no sewage sleeping literally in a ditch together and just looking around like this is our reality right now. What are we going to do? We helped clean up fat flowers and fire and we walked back to the dive shop. As I said, it's not a very big island, so it doesn't take very long to do these things. And I'm still I'm 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 still very sick. I'm still very, very sick. And we just Sam decides, look, you you cannot survive another night without having medical attention or at least being safe in a building. And knowing that, you know, you're safe and you can kind of rest because at this stage I haven't really been able to fully rest in 48 hours. So we eventually find one flight available out of Lombok to Borneo on the Indonesia side into Banjarmasin. So we were about to get onto a boat to go over to Lombok when we could. And all of a sudden we see this massive ship, I guess you could say, pull up to the pier and <laughs> The pier on Gilear is about as small as, you know, just a residential dock (laughs) in a canal in South Florida. So it's not very big. And the ship comes by and it's the Indonesian military and they're coming to evacuate us. And they force everyone who's not a business owner on the island or a local living on the island to leave. So we were forced to leave. The Indonesian military are taking videos of us like as if this is just like the craziest spectacle and you just really feel like a zoo animal being trapped in a zoo while they're taking pictures of us. We make it over to Lombok and we step off the boat and we really start to assess the the pure damage because the earthquake, the original one, the 6.9 magnitude earthquake was originally came from like the depths of the island of Lombok. So we're walking around. There are full mosques flattened, four or five story buildings flattened kids in the road asking for money and food. Roads are completely blocked off from landslides. And it was just the most surreal experience being a part of that and looking around and understanding that the magnitude of this disaster was going to last for years. How tourism will take years to come back to regrow and how this would affect literally the mouths of these children who are begging for food. We make it to the airport. There's thousands and thousands of people all just like fighting to get on a plane. There's people sleeping on the floor in the airport. It takes us about two hours to check in with our flight. I'm just like curled up in a ball. Like Sam's literally using like a trolley, like a luggage trolley, (laughs) a luggage cart. And it's not even for luggage. It's like so that I could lay down and he could just like push me like I'm a baby in a stroller. And we finally get to the front. I'm starting to I'm starting to sweat a bit. And this guy behind me goes goes to Sam. Hey, are you guys going to Ben Jarmusim? And Sam's like, Yeah. And he goes, Look, I'm from this area. She doesn't look well. She needs to see, go to a hospital. And Sam's like, I I know that. <laughs> Thank you. And he said, There's a brand new private hospital 
That's in Banjarmasin. Go there and you will be taken care of. It's brand new. It's the best facility. They speak English there. We're like, okay, thank you so much. We gave us the name. We got off the plane. We don't even have a hotel. It's about like 11 o'clock at night. We don't have a hotel room booked. We just got on the plane and we left and we hoped for the best. We got to the airport hotel. I think it was a Novotel. And they said, look, we're completely booked. Remember, there's three of us. It's me, Sam, and our friend Clay. We got to the airport and say, we're fully booked. We have one room with two separate single beds. And we said, we'll take it. Sam and I will sleep in a single bed and Clay can sleep in the other. I'm still getting sick. I'm still not well. And we were able to sleep in a hotel room in the Novotel and to just like walk into what is quite a nice hotel, like quite a luxury hotel, just like in the same clothes that we were in since the earthquake had started, literally dirt caked into our nails, caked into our eyes, caked into our hair, smelling like vomit and sweat and adrenaline and trauma. (laughs) To walk into this nice hotel was just like, wow, like I can't even believe these two worlds are existing right now. I'm able to fall, fall asleep. We wake up as soon as we can the next morning we go straight to the private hospital. We walk in. No one speaks English. So we call my friend Carmen, our friend who we met on Gilly T at the very beginning of this story. We call my friend Carmen. She speaks Bahasa, which is the Indonesian language on most of the islands. And she's able to start interpreting from what's happening with me over to the doctor and the doctor and back to me. They get me set up. They give me IV. They're giving me IV magnesium. They're giving me an antibiotic. They know exactly what's going on, that it's it's the classic Bali belly. It's a bug, and they're able to fix me up. I'm probably there for about six or seven hours with multiple bags of fluids, multiple bags of vitamins, multiple conversations with the head doctor on the floor. And we go to leave. I'm already starting to feel better. I'm feeling replenished. I'm able to keep food down. We go to pay and I'm like, oh God. I mean, we had to do this, of course, but man, I don't even want to know what this bill is going to be. Thank God we have travel insurance. We're going to, you know, just put a claim into the insurance. And it cost 67 US dollars for the entire stay that we were there. It wasn't even worth it to put it through my travel insurance because I think our deductible was like 150 or $200. So that was like a really big relief because I was really worried about that. We get back to the hotel. The hotel was finally able to find us another room so our friend Clay could have his own room. We're able to get our laundry done, which cost $60 for all of our clothes, which at the time, like we were getting our clothes done for $4 a pound or $4 a kilo. So $60 was like shocking, but we had to get our clothes clean. So that had to happen. So we finally are able to get a flight out of Benjarmasin and we decide to go to Singapore. It's the safest country that we can think of that has it's the most modern it's the cleanest we're able to like get our feet on the ground although it's the most expensive in the area in terms of countries we knew like we have to get to Singapore Sam's family has had ties to Singapore for decades and we just feel really safe there so we flew to Singapore we get to a hotel that we booked we didn't realize of course Singapore is like all high rises so we get on the 13th floor and we're still literally shaking from this experience so being on a really high floor was not something that we wanted to be on, but we just had to do it. So we're in this hotel room. We're starting to just land a little bit safely. I'm still recovering. Like I'm I'm definitely better, but I'm still recovering. Like standing up for long periods of time is really tiring. 
So Sam and Clay, they go out and just get some food. They get some beers and just start to feel, try to feel a little normal again. And I'm just in the hotel room trying to process and recover. And by like the third or fourth day in Singapore, I'm able to explore a little bit more, starting to feel like ourselves. But really during this time, we're trying to reroute. We were planning on staying in Indonesia from August until October. And then from October, we were going to go directly to India. And then from India, we were going to come back to Indonesia for Christmas. I had four friends book their flights from the U.S. to meet me in Bali, meet Sam and I in Bali for New Year's. So there was really no option. Like we had to go back to Indonesia no matter how like traumatic it really would have been for us because people were counting on us to be there. But now since it was mid-August, we had to decide where we wanted to go. We had already booked our accommodation for a large part of India for October. So we had until mid-August until early October to decide what we wanted to do. And while, yes, we could have explored a country we haven't been to, like Myanmar or the Philippines, we just kind of wanted to stick to what we knew so that we still felt safe. So we had lived in Thailand and been in and out of Thailand for about a year in 2015. So we knew, okay, we know how Thailand works. We know a little bit of the language. We feel really comfortable there. We can rent motorbikes. We, we know how the system and the society works in Thailand. So let's go back to Thailand. This episode is brought to you by Child & Company. Child & Company is South Florida's first family-friendly office space featuring private offices, a professional content creation studio, and childcare for hybrid work and work-from-home parents located in Boca Raton. Child & Company is founded on the belief that you shouldn't have to choose between raising a family and being career-driven. Their core mission is to create an environment where family and work can exist in harmony. The best part to me as a mom is that you can pop in and breastfeed your baby or have lunch with your toddler if you like, and then pop back into your office for your Zoom meeting, which I think is so key, especially for newborn moms going back to work. It's the perfect transition from emerging out of the newborn bubble and getting back to the business you love. Child & Company provides you the flexibility to work in a beautifully designed, ergonomic private office with insanely good Wi-Fi connection and soundproofing while just being steps away from your child. They have monthly themes that they base their lessons on, like in September, they are exploring the animals of the Amazon, which I obviously love when children get opportunities to learn more about the world and build a sense of curiosity. Child & Company offers weekly and monthly classes and events, like some beanie, music class for babies, mindful cooking for toddlers, big kid yoga, and mindful mama community events, and so much more. I've been a member since February 2023, utilizing their private offices and their professional content creation studio. Child & Company is where all of the magic happens for this podcast. Their beautiful recording studio is soundproofed with state-of-the-art equipment, microphones, lighting, and cameras. So you can record your podcast, course content, meditation clips, and anything else you might want to record for your business. The Child & Company team truly feels like family. They are an extension of my team over here at Rising Nature Retreats and the Transform with Travel podcast, as well as an extension of my own family. If you're local to Palm Beach and Broward County, do yourself a favor and check out Child & Company. Visit www.childandcompany.com or head over to Instagram at Child & Company. We went back to Thailand for 
about six weeks. We spent two weeks in Chiang Mai, just a really in the same in the same hotel, which was great because just feel really grounded again and just really start to like process what happened to us. I was able to see an acupuncturist there a couple times. I was able to process what really felt like a failure. Like I told everyone, I'm going to go teach yoga at this beautiful studio in this idyllic paradise in Indonesia. And Sam's going to do his dive master. And like, this is the plan and this is the dream. And that got completely ripped from us. So I was really struggling and battling with this concept of failing, this concept of like almost quitting. And it really took me a long time to learn that to trust in that reroute and just knew that even though I I didn't know where this was going to take us, like I had to trust that this was all going to be okay. While at the same time processing a, a hugely traumatic event, both of us in our wildly different ways, Sam's processing is going to be way different to mine. And we kind of lost our way a little bit as a couple in terms of him trying to process one way and me trying to navigate it another way and getting mad at each other when it didn't let those two things didn't look the same way or we wanted to do things differently. And it was a really hard time. I, I, I hate to say that six weeks in Thailand was challenging, but it really was. We had to have some really, really deep conversations. We had to have some really tough conversations. It shook up the very foundation of our relationships. We had to be very honest about things that we had been going through for the last year that maybe we both wanted to stick our head in the sand. And this earthquake and this reroute of all of our plans really shook that foundation of our relationship up. And although it was really difficult and it didn't continue, or it continued to be difficult probably for the next like four weeks or so, especially as we got to India, which is just a total shakeup of everything you've ever known. <laughs> and it was vastly uncomfortable for specifically for Sam, that experience through India it continued to be a difficult time in our relationship whilst we're trying to explore and have fun and enjoy the moment. It was just such a dichotomy of experiences happening for both of us separately, for us as a relationship, as an entity. And we hit some really low lows and at the same time hitting some like the highest of highs. So it was just like a big roller coaster. And during that time, I was linked up with a somatic, a psychosomatic therapist. Um, her name is Petra. And me being able to have Zoom sessions with her through somatic healing really, really changed the course of my life. It took me on a deep dive of me processing my own emotions in a somatic way and like a deeply felt sense in my own body, how I've held on to traumas throughout my life within my own body and how that manifests in different ways. And it honestly, if it wasn't for this earthquake happening, I don't know if I would have been like pushed into like being so backed into a corner that I had to try anything to help me be able to process the situation. And it really led me on my own personal journey of healing and being able to dive deeper into somatic therapy. And that's what I largely help my clients in now through yoga, somatic healing and meditation. Although it had been such a challenging time for us, we were able to change our plans in a way that at first felt really disappointing, really disappointing. I was so disappointed in myself. I was so disappointed that the plan didn't work out. I was grieving 
really grieving the experience that I wanted to have by diving deeper at this yoga studio on the Gillies with this amazing teacher. At the same time, we had to make a plan. We, Although we could stay in Thailand for a long time, we'd done it before, we could do it again. Both of us knew that we needed to continue on. So we moved on from Thailand and we went to, to India. We spent five weeks in India, which will be a whole separate podcast episode. That's a whole nother doozy there. Um, and then from India, I had to go back to the U.S. unexpectedly because my grandma had passed away. So Sam had a couple friends meet him back in Bali, which was a really big step for him to be able to say, yeah, I'll go back to Indonesia where this traumatic event just happened four months earlier. But he had two friends say, hey, I don't want you to be alone while Kelly has to go back to the U.S. We'll come meet you in Bali. And they spent two weeks in Bali while I spent two weeks at home. And then after my time at home and his time in Bali, we met back up again in Sri Lanka. And I really think that like period of two weeks away from each other, he got to process in his own way. I got to go home and feel grounded and feel the support of my family. And then we met back up in Sri Lanka, virtually like running into each other's arms at the airport and just kind of like blank slate, like just allowing ourselves to be like, okay, like we have a decision right now to like take a step forward. Not to say that we're just going to forget the experience of the earthquake and also forget the challenges that we had in our relationship, but this is our commitment to ourselves to take a step forward. And Sri Lanka was nowhere on our plans. Like it was, like I, I, would, love to, I would love to go to Sri Lanka, but it just wasn't going to fit into this plan this time around. But when we were left with a month in between India and in between when we had to go back to Indonesia to meet our friends for New Year's, we had about four weeks in between. And I said, well, Sri Lanka is a very easy flight from India. It's literally right off the coast of India. Why don't we go check it out? And I had really no one to fall back on in terms of like knowing how cool Sri Lanka was. I had one friend who went as a solo female traveler about five years prior. And she had said that it was a challenge for her as a female traveler back then. And then we also, Sam's brother and sister-in-law, had spent some time there for their honeymoon or I don't know, some trip that they took, but they loved it. So we said, you know what? Let's just go and try it. And we spent four weeks majority on the South Coast on the beach in Sri Lanka, a little bit inland. And sometime through the national parks, we were able to see wild elephants and cheetahs and the coolest stuff. Um, and man, Sri Lanka became our favorite country that we've ever been to. We would go back and live there. It was just the people, the culture the food, the beaches, the surf, the diving. It's so easy to travel around and it's its fairly small, so it's easy to drive. And we met the best travelers ever at the best hostel ever at Spindrift in Wellagama. The owners, Charlotte and Josh, are incredible. I will have them on the podcast 1,000%. But it was a game changer for us going to Sri Lanka. It was everything that we needed and more. It reignited the spark and the love for travel, the trust in other people, the trust in the universe. Like it was just absolutely everything we needed. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't have made it to Sri Lanka had our plans not been changed. And I'm just so grateful we were able to have that experience there as a couple and be able to heal and also be able to heal not just our relationship with ourselves, but also our relationship with travel. Because I think by the end of Thailand, by the end of India, although I had an amazing time in India, Sam was really struggling. And I think we were getting a little bogged down. And Sri Lanka totally reignited that spark. 
and that love for culture and travel and exploration. Also, what was not planned for us was having so much time at the tail end of our trip. So like I said, we had to meet our friends in Bali for New Year's. So after Sri Lanka, we flew to Bali. We spent about two, three weeks in Bali with our friends. And then we also had all of January. We weren't planning on going back home to Sydney. And I said, you know what, Sam, why don't we just go back home early? And he's like, look, there's nothing there for us. We quit our jobs. I mean, I'm not to say that there's nothing there for us. His family is there for us. That is, that's not what I mean. But he just means like we quit our job. We don't have a car. (laughs) We didn't have a place to live. And luckily, Sam's parents are the most gracious people in the world. And they let us live there multiple times across the last five years when we were living there. But he was like, why don't we go do something else in Australia we haven't done? And it hadn't really crossed my mind to go do something else in Australia because Australia is expensive to travel around and we were backpacking on a budget. So, But we said, hey, neither of us have ever been to Western Australia and really drove the coast and explored that area. And so we decided when we had about three weeks left of our trip, we flew to Western Australia and we drove 3,000 kilometers over the space of two or three weeks and saw the, some of the most beautiful places on the planet. And again, it quickly became one of our favorite places in the world, one of our favorite regions in the world. So all of this to say how much, like how traumatic that experience was for us, how it still spills over into my daily life today. Like still to this day, I can feel myself looking around for exit points. I can find myself being like, all right, if something happens in this mall, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go that way. If we're in a region where there are is is known to have earthquakes, I'm always looking for my exit strategy, which is a, f- a form of trauma, <laughs> a form of coping, I guess. Um, But through that experience, I was able to find healing modalities that I had never dove into before that now inform the way that I heal and the way that I educate my clients and students, the way that I lead retreats as well. It opened our eyes up to a new country of Sri Lanka, to a new area of Australia, Western Australia that we would have never been to before. And it just allowed me to continue to trust in the reroute continue to trust in the redirection. We had no idea what was going to be in store for us. And I'm not going to say that we surrendered to that gracefully. We really didn't. It was really hard for us. But now looking back, it's given me such a reservoir of experience to lean back on so that when things don't go the way that they're supposed to go, whether it's traveling or whether it's in home life, to know that the dots will connect and that something is greater is waiting for you out there. So. I appreciate you for being on this journey with me for almost an hour now. Uh, it's it's such a heavy story and there's so many nuances and there's so many details that I, I even left out just because there's just too, so much that I could go into. The depth of the story, the heartbreak of the story, and I still think about the businesses that are still reeling or never got back up again from the earthquake. And so it's just to say also, like when you see disaster relief GoFundMes or charities and something's happened in a community that you could just not even fathom, like let's say recently the Maui fires. I know it's not possible for everybody, but even if you have $5, $10, like that money is just so helpful. I can't even tell you the direct impact that when we were fundraising for the Gillies and for Lombok, 
the direct impact that it had on families that I had met on the island. So don't shy away from leaning into these some of these heartbreaking stories of natural disasters and these relief funds that are out there because they really do need the help and you have a direct way to impact people's lives. And lastly, I don't want this story to stop you from ever going to a place that has active natural disasters. Like I want you to be safe, but you can't control everything. We get hurricanes here in Florida. There's earthquakes and fires in California. Hell, there was an earthquake. Sorry, there was a hurricane in California and Mexico just last week. Like the world is changing. The climate is changing so much and we can't control what's going to happen to us and it can't stop us from going places around the world and just leaning into it. It's can be terrifying when I think about, you know, going somewhere and 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 another earthquake happening, but I'm choosing every day to not live in that fear and I'm choosing every day to believe that life is working out the way it's supposed to for me. Despite some of the risks that might be taken, despite some of the things that might happen to me, I'm choosing every day to live outside of that fear and to really lean into all of the depth and range of emotions that life has to offer us and that this world has to offer us. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you, like I said, going on this journey with me and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Transform with Travel podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode of inspiration, adventure, and exploration. If you felt inspired by this episode, please rate and review in whatever streaming app you're listening from. This allows us to spread the word even more and continue to serve up weekly doses of adventure. As always, we'd love if you could share the episode with someone in your life who you think will benefit from this conversation. Thanks so much for listening. This is your reminder to get out there and keep on exploring.